0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today is a guest I'm excited to have on. It's a a new friend of mine. Hopefully, I can say friend. I got connected through a, another friend of mine, Dan. And so I'm excited to welcome Greg. How are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing well, Josh. Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was. So I had that weird pause there after I said, Greg, I wanted to say your last name, but I never actually asked you how to say it correctly. (laughs) So I didn't want to do it. Ferrand. I was going to say Farrand, so I would have been wrong. Ferrand. Sweet. Greg (laughs) Ferrand. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, thanks for, for agreeing to come on and hang out today. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too.
0: So for... Uh, just for our listeners so that they can get to know you a little bit, feel a little bit more comfortable. Can you just fill me in a little bit on who you are, what kind of stuff that you do? Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So I am the executive director of Second Breath. And Second Breath is a, was for 30 years, a Christian wisdom school uh, that was connected with an Episcopal church in North Carolina. And uh, we've been teaching spiritual practices primarily that are really nested again in that Christian wisdom tradition. And I got connected with them back in about 2008 in a way that totally transformed my life uh, from the inside out. Uh, I'd been kind of a burned out Presbyterian minister, ready to throw the towel in uh, not only on my ministry, but even the towel and potentially on my faith. And I connected with this group and learned hundreds of these spiritual practices that again, transformed me from the inside out, refilled my tanks, and actually, instead of abandoning not only my faith, but instead of abandoning ministry, I actually ended up becoming an Episcopal priest, and then eventually became the executive director of, of Second Breath. So it's been quite a journey to, to where I am.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, listeners, if you want to take like a super deep dive into that journey, uh, there's an excellent episode that Greg did uh, with a friend of mine named Dan Koch on the You Have Permission podcast. Um Go check that out. You won't be disappointed. It was a fantastic episode. Um, But so, Greg, we have like a less serious question to ask um, that I always enjoy because I'm a huge hockey fan. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you happen to have a favorite ice hockey team?
1: Oh, favorite ice hockey team? Well, yeah. I was in the D.C. area from the sixth grade through 12th grade. So it was it was the Caps. Uh, yeah. the, capped, the Caps were my primary team. Uh, and then I moved down to North Carolina and then there's the hurricanes down here. But, uh, but I, I kind of let that go versus uh, I, I, down here it's much more basketball oh, right uh, than on. it is hockey. Okay. So.
0: so who's your, who's your basketball team?
1: Well, down here, college sports are bigger than even pro sports. Fair. And the primary tension, I've got uh, friends that are Duke fans. I've got friends that are Chapel Hill fans and friends that are state fans. So I try to, uh, surf, uh, between them, because if you claim allegiance uh, with any of those groups, they'll kind of beat you up out behind the shed. <laughs> so it's, it's a da- it's a dangerous, uh, fan game down here in the South.
0: Right on. Yes. Yeah, so you have to, you have to play the role of peacemaker. That's
1: between. my primary role down here. Yeah. yeah there you go. Just be,
0: <laughs> become like, you know, become like each one of them in that space, <laughs> you know, build peace and move forward. <laughs> That's
1: it. That's it.
0: Sweet. Well. um one more question too before we dive into um like the our topic for today. Uh as you know, our show is called Rethinking Faith. And I'm always interested in asking people what is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith you feel you had to rethink?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was uh I was a, I, w- I would define myself as in my younger years very conservative, evangelical, and um the probably the, One big variable was the concept of hell that I had to rethink. Another was the role of scripture as uh, it's, you know, was it inerrant or not? That was probably the biggest shift pragmatically uh, that I made. Um, Also just the whole concept of soteriology of Jesus's death and what was really going on there. Uh, Was he, Paying a, a blood sacrifice demanded by God the Father, um, and so those those three I think were the biggest. With probably the one that had the most practical impact was my view of Scripture.
0: Yeah the the Scripture one is always is always interesting to me because a lot of the times within more con, uh, conservative circles or where you have like a really strong focus on like verbal plenary inspiration and inerrancy. Mm-hmm. it's like you have people telling you if you question this and ditch this then you just lose everything right and it's a scare tactic but to an extent right. they're right
1: <laughs> but right. i
0: don't it's i don't think it's so much that you're losing the faith it's just more so you're you're falling outside their box that they call faith and there's other traditions within christianity that have been around far longer you know that right. treat scripture very differently um, so to, to an extent they're right, but also it's uh, it's so helpful at the same time. There's a lot of freedom there, at least in my experience. Yeah,
1: it was in, no, I, I absolutely agree. And within each system, especially fear based systems that say, if you leave us, then well, shoot, there's lots of things that could bad could happen. To you. you could go to hell. It could prove that you were never saved. You could be rejected. We could uh, no longer in, include you in our club. Uh, you could lose out socially, economically. I was a pastor to leave mm. that. I was going to lose my benefits, my salary. So <laughs> yeah, there's lo- lots that. of fear-based, I know you do, <laughs> lots of fear-based things that can keep you in. But in many ways, it was kind of like, it was a tiny little one room hovel. And they were mm. telling me it was the bi- big, beautiful, wild, wide world of faith. And everything outside of this little hovel was dangerous and scary. And if you leave, then you're you're going to be outside of the fold and then ultimately through my own evolution as i kind of started moving outside of that i realized as i was oh my gosh it was like going out of a one room hovel and seeing the taj mahal and this beautiful blue sky and god was so much bigger and my experience of faith in christ were so much larger and more glorious and adventurous and and joyful and and i still would see my friends back there in this one room hovel screaming at me that see i'm an outsider now uh mm-hmm. and people would uh uh, I mean, I've been called heretic uh, for my my willingness to move outside of that bubble. I've been called the Antichrist by people. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, you know, the big L liberal. um you know, so there there was a price to pay. Uh, but I'm convinced that until we reach a point in our own journeys where we begin to actually trust our own, inner voice, and you know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within, that the connection with the divine within us, until we actually learn to trust our own unique being, that we will never have the courage to live into the ultimate potential that we can in this life. I think we will remain fearful and stuck almost as if, until our need for being ourself transcends our need for inclusion, then we'll never have the courage to leave the hovel the oh, that little neighborhood
0: <laughs> i think you hit the nail on the head man um and it's i have a few thoughts there because like on the one hand um the it's like the the hmm i'm trying to think how to say it in a way that's uh graceful um I've I guess I've just learned that the the Christian faith and tradition is so much bigger than I was right. first originally taught. And mm-hmm. part of and part of how I discovered that was doing exactly what you're saying, starting to, to learn to trust that um, the inner voice or, you know, I would I like to use the language starting to trust uh, the Christ within. Mm. Um, and the problem, though, is that in the circles that I grew up in, I was told the opposite. You can't do totally. that. You can't listen to your heart. You can't listen to. Heart's
1: corrupt above all things. You you can't listen to your heart. Yeah. So
0: the only thing here to listen to is our logic, our, you know, whatever. And if you feel differently, like if here's the, you know, theology or doctrine we have in place and that makes you feel icky or bad or something like that, well, then you just have to ignore that because this is the the right thing. And so it's like a self, um, it's an enclosed argument. It's a circular argument. It's right. here's our box. You have to fit in it. Don't listen to anything else. It's wrong. Right. Um, so that learning to trust that for me was also huge. Um, yeah that that was massive. And then the, dang, I lost my my second thing.
1: do um, no, just to <laughs> j- piggyback on that, man. <laughs> I did, that's it, yeah. the, that, that's the linchpin. I mean, I do think for years I was taught do not trust yourself. Yeah. You, if if you can trust yourself, if your intuition or conclusion is in line with the party line is in line with our doctrinal systems. But if you have an intuition or conclusion that contradicts the system, then you have to reject it. Uh, and because that is sinful and that is cultural influence uh, where I was, you know, women couldn't be ordained and LGBTQ was considered sinful and, uh, that didn't make sense to me experientially. There were women in my pres- PCA Presbyterian congregation that had been to seminary. They were way better at exegeting scripture. They were way better preachers than I were. I was, but they couldn't teach or preach because of their gender. And uh, oh, sorry, man, my dog is barking.
0: No worries. Freaking. We have dogs here too, so our <laughs> listeners are used to hearing the dogs say, "What's up."
1: Oh, good. Good, good. So, so, but, but I do think that ultimately was a a massive shift for me to actually begin to trust, uh, trust what was happening within me, trust my heart, trust my own conclusion. Uh, and, and that maybe just maybe the system that I'd been a part of was, was not all truth. And especially just rationally speaking, you know, there, there are over something like 50,000 denominations (laughs) <laughs> and, and each one of these denominations believes they've got the correct take on scripture. Right. Right. And so, and I realized like amazingly, somehow the, the, P, the PCA faith that I was a part of, it came from the reformation in Germany, went up through Scotland, came down to America, down to the East coast, down to the South. And over the, you know, decades evolved into the PCA. And I had allowed this one worldview, this one system of faith, to define my entire lens on reality.
0: <laughs>
1: and and once I realized that there, there were so many, I'm I just thought, why why have I allowed this one to determine my lens on life? When uh when did I choose that? When it's so dissonant with my experience of reality and now so dissonant with the heart that I trust within me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was I mean that was huge for me too, man. Like I know um we had a guy on the podcast recently named Gabriel Gordon. And one thing that he did that was really good on that podcast was he he called me out for something um, because I used a phrase, most Christians, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, mm. hold on, Josh. I know you already know this, but be honest with yourself. When you just said most Christians, you didn't mean most Christians because it's not true. Most Christians mm. don't believe, you know, whatever you are talking about. You are specifically talking about Christians within the context that you grew up in. So for right. you. Western American evangelical Christians right? with a specific bend. When you say most Christians, that's what you're talking about. So like, let's, <laughs> let's just be honest that this whole right. section is the section you're talking about. And so for you, maybe it is most Christians because that's your experience, but it's so much bigger. There's so much more outside of that. <clears throat> and for me, stepping outside of that and then seeing the breadth and the depth of the Christian faith,
1: um, or tradition
0: this. is just insanely beautiful. Mind-blowing. Yeah, and something to be celebrated, you know, yep. not, not feared or thrown out or, you know, whatever. But then also something that you said that was huge for me as well was the whole um, inclusion versus being true to yourself. Yeah. Um, And you actually, you used the language um, when you did that episode with Dan that really kind of nailed that for me. Um, you mm. talked about your interior world and your exterior yeah. world not aligning. Yeah, and when I was a pastor, that was that's what was happening. <laughs> yep, my interior world, um, and and the ability to be true to myself didn't align with the exterior world, and a part of the big reason was the inclusion piece. Mm. Um, and I was like, I had to do this also some work of like differentiating um or detaching uh my identity from the title pastor josh is a yeah. pastor and i had to mm. separate and say no that's that's not who josh really is that's a a stream i can step into a hat i can put on but that's not the core of who i am so that right. separation was huge and mm-hmm. when that happened i was able to see what needed to happen and for the interior and the exterior to line up um yeah. And that's when I made the decision that walking away from pastoral ministry, at least at this time in my life, was the right thing to do. Yeah. So
1: yeah, that 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 dissonance. I mean, I didn't realize. I mean, it's a classic kind of horrible illustration, but poignant enough that we've all remembered it. But the frog in water, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like for for years, really since I'd had a spiritual awakening when I was seventeen, and got connected with more of a, a conservative evangelical faith tradition and let me say this first, I came, my, my life when I was younger was kind of so, so chaotic with, you know, the parting, the drugs and alcohol that was over the top that when I did have the spiritual awakening for a, a season of life, I did need a binary faith. I needed a simple faith that just made my world orderly. Uh, it was, it was a stepping stone of my spiritual evolution that I'm grateful for. So I, I don't condemn that stage of the journey, uh, of needing a binary faith that's Jesus died for my sins. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And my main job is to get other people to go to heaven with me. That's how I lived my life for a number of years. And I, and I'm grateful for that stage. Uh, But I would say, you know, uh, over, over time, it did feel like this deep dissonance between what was happening within me and my heart, compassion, how I was growing and this external world that said, we are defining your reality for you theologically, you know, that, that, they're in and out. Everybody you meet is either going to heaven or hell. Uh, that that women can't teach, that LGBTQs is a sin. It was all these big variables that were defining. And for, I remember I lived for a long time, like the world was like the devil's place. And <laughs> and and the church was like this castle. And and my or my house was even like a castle. And each day the moat, you know, the gate would go down, and I would charge out into the devil's territory to go and witness and evangelize into this scary territory. And then I'd charge back into the safety of my little house or the church. And it was just totally dualistic. Like the world's a scary place. It's kind of the the devil's playground. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. we're just trying to save as many people as possible. And that, I mean, of course, your exterior world, if that's your lens on life, it's it's kind of, talk about dissonance. Talk about being a frog in boiling water (laughs) versus versus where I am now. I remember when I was coming out of it and I prayed, I was like, God, I have realized Every single person I meet, the first question that I'm asking inside my head is, are they saved or not saved? Are they going to heaven or hell? And then all of my future interactions with them would be determined by whatever I concluded in my head. And it was totally exhausting. Oh, and, and, it, and it really hampered my capacity to love. And I remember I prayed, I said, God, would you please shift my interior monologue so that when I just meet a person, whoever they are, they're a person that I just get to know and trust that they're yours and I'm just going to love them. And I remember it took it took years of kind of internal healing for me to meet someone and they're just them instead yeah. of immediately placing them in a category.
0: Yeah. Oh, dude.
1: <laughs> for sure. And like that was, for me too, that
0: was just one of the, uh, that was maybe perhaps one of the most difficult things for myself in my own journey uh, mm. was that uh but also too just like there was a stage where i was very like um the same way that like uh the more conservative person would push things i was like that but just on the opposite side of things Hmm. um like trying to push like all of this like quote-unquote progressive stuff on people Hmm. like you know (laughs) like forcefully like here do blah 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 whatever and then right. I got to a point where I realized that, like, exactly what you said is true. Like, I have so much respect for the, the part of my faith journey that came before, because without yeah. it, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And yeah. I had a, real, a realization that, like, everybody is on this journey of becoming, um, this, this journey of faith. And to impose myself unfairly into someone else's spiritual journey could, mm. could be spiritually abusive. Yeah. Um, like it's not fair. Some like people <laughs> I, I've realized that you can love people and embrace people and drop seeds for people. But also I've been learning to trust God and embrace people wherever they are at in their theological journey and yep. just trust that God will get them where they need to go. Cause it's their journey and not mine. And like, that was a huge shift for me. And like, I think you Massive. can even see it in how this podcast operates because there was definitely a period where the podcast was kind of like, "Hey, fuck everybody." <laughs> and now, yeah, right. and now it's not like that anymore. Hopefully, right. fingers Crossed. It's more embracing.
1: And and that's a, you know, and even that you know is a it's a natural part of a paradigm shift, right? It's it's like we begin to deconstruct the previous paradigm that we've been operating in, and most of that energy is spent on ripping apart the things that were harmful to us and we didn't like. And there's a very natural season of. I can't believe I ever believed this, you know, and we're angry at ourselves. We're angry at the people that taught us this. And then we got to kind of go through this in between little funnel season where we don't define ourselves by where we were, but we don't know what the new paradigm is going to be. And then all of a sudden we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And if we are willing, some people get stuck in the angry deconstructionist phase Mm -hmm. and they never move past it. And they're constantly defining themselves by what they're not versus and it's a very natural progression of the journey, but we get to the point where we begin to construct, reconstruct and experience and discover something new and expansive and beautiful. And then we can, instead of transcend and reject, we transcend and include mm-hmm. that we transcend and include our previous stages of evolution and development and are appreciative and recognize we would not be where we are without that. And then that gives us grace for where, like what you're describing for every stage you know, of the journey
0: yeah including including the the stage in the journey that i'm now talking crap about
1: <laughs> you know and doing it doing it with grace right doing yeah. it with compassion right and and not condescension
0: yeah exactly and acknowledging like wow yeah like i josh like i was really hurt there were things that like elements that needed to be broken away from there were things that i needed to tear down um and like just embracing that step again, that, that I don't even like the word step, that uh, cycle or that aspect of yeah. evolution, that, that place, uh, yeah, ha- that's been insanely healing for myself too. Just again, that language of transcendent include embracing all of those stories. And even just, um, when it comes to the hurt and the trauma from the church, one of the things that like, just absolutely blew my mind, uh, was I believe it, reading Richard Rohr talking about hey hmm. how, how, like, yo, Even after the resurrection, Jesus still had his scars. Yeah, you know, and Mm. that like really spoke on a (laughs) very deep level.
1: He knows how to land the plane. Rora's (laughs) got, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, that that. Well, I I remember. I remember after. I I remember after a seminary. I went to Reformed Theological Seminary, very very conservative uh, Presbyterian Seminary. And uh it was, you know, so much of what I would write papers, you know, scripturally saying that women should not be in ministry. You know, I could write, I wrote all the papers, study the Greek, study the Hebrew, and all these, you know, things that I in my evolution I no longer held to. And I remember I was really wrestling. I was like, did I waste years of my life at, you know, pouring myself into scripture in this way? And I went to my spiritual director at the time. And I said, I just feel like maybe I've wasted so much of this energy and so much of this mental capacity and so much of my life. And he said to me, he said, "Greg, have you ever, you know, swum laps in pools? And I was like, yeah, of course. He says, you know, you're going down to the end of uh, swimming a lap and you get to the wall and you do one of those flip turns where you flip over and then you push your feet off the wall and you, you know, torpedo out, you know, so you can swim the next uh, lap. He's like, yeah, of course. He says, well, what happens if you do a flip turn in the middle of the pool when you're not near the wall. You know, your legs kick out, they don't hit anything, and you just sink. And he said the powerful thing about the energy you spent writing all those papers about things you no longer agree with, in many ways, that's like doing this kick turn right against the edge of the pool. It gives you all this power to know what you're not anymore and to really move elegantly Uh, towards what you're now discovering and opening up to. And you can be appreciative for that. But just because you wrote a paper condemning the LGBT community back in the late 90s, now you can use that very energy to help you be all the more compassionate, open, and embracing. Hmm. And that was so helpful for me to, to realize that it wasn't wasted time. But that, again, was a part of the journey that actually now is still empowering because you know, I'm an Episcopalian. That because I was a Presbyterian, I know the Bible, I know my Greek and Hebrew a lot better than most Episcopalians. Because that's not <laughs> the huge part of being an Episcopalian, but I'm really grateful for it. You know, and I can have conversations like you with people all along the journey, especially in evangelical circles, and because of those uh, those aspects. So mm. far from being things that I am now viewing as a waste of time, I'm grateful for every every bit of those uh, every bit of that journey.
0: Oh man, I, I think that's beautiful. I, I love that um that metaphor. And it just I guess it reminds me too of something that I discovered more recently um in talking to some people that um have been kind of like mentors in my life growing up. Uh some really important people uh who both are our pastors um have been in my life for a very long time. Uh they were on my ordination council. Um mm. and when i talked to them about the decision to step away from pastoral ministry um at least again for this this current season of my life um they had all these preconceived notions as to why I was doing that you know i wasn't reading my bible enough i was reading too many liberals or whatever
1: <laughs> um
0: and it, it was interesting because in that moment like i wanted i wanted to be angry and i wanted to you know, push back and like tell them just how wrong they were. But instead I just felt this invitation um, from God or from, you know, spirit, whatever language you going to use uh, from God within to um, just to kind of meet them where they're at. And then I used language that I grew up using that, you know, people refer to now as like Christianese or like something like that.
1: Mm.
0: I used the language of that. They, um, use that they know that they're comfortable with
1: mm. and
0: by by being able to step into that space and use their language to describe things that like i would use different language to talk to you about they were actually able to see and understand mm. and like mm-hmm. then because of that i actually felt heard by them wow so, like again like a realization that like that space was so important in my mm. life and now i can still communicate and talk in you know, using all the Christian you know, lingo and you know, whatever weird stuff that like it made me feel so icky, like actually using yeah. it, but I knew <laughs> you know, it was like a thing, and I was like, man, yeah. this is such a different paradigm to like live and operate in. It's like, yeah, it's interesting, yeah, yeah, I don't know, but I guess so because we've talked a lot around it, and I know it's difficult to kind of um summarize briefly but like as far as going from like young so you mentioned like being a young person uh who like partied hard basically you know like party on wayne um (laughs) (laughs) then like having this kind of interaction with uh with jesus when you what said 17 yep so then you had that and then you ended up becoming a pca pastor right And then eventually you landed as an Episcopal priest, which is like insanely different from PCA pastor.
1: (laughs) Totally different solar systems. Yeah,
0: Yeah. what? So as like back in your PCA days, how did that shift happen? Like, what did that look like for you? Like, what did that journey itself? How did that play out?
1: Part of it was I was doing... I was kind of the, the the PCA church planter poster child. I mean, we were the okay. the edgy. They sent us out. We started a church with ten people in a living room. It grew to you know over three hundred in relatively short order, and we had a diverse congregation. We were self sustaining. We were all the metrics of success. We were nailing, and internally, I was completely burning out, and I could not understand why, and. I just thought if we understand and preach the gospel clearly enough, then lives will change, community will change, I w- and and yet while all the metrics were being hit for what our culture defines as church success, I found myself just frying out, and I was doing everything within my toolbox that I knew how to do. I was getting up and praying regularly, I was having my quiet times, reading scripture, I was even... Uh, you know, exercising, eating right. And finally, you know, we had three kids. We had one in 98, one in 2000, and one in 2003, all boys. And around 2004, with three young kids at home and planting a church, it was so exhausting. And there was so much tension in our marriage that finally, someone said, y'all need to, y'all need to go see a, a marriage counselor just to give you the tools to navigate this really choppy seas of this season of life. And I was so self-protective. I didn't really realize how self-protective I was, but I went into this the first uh, therapy session with the marriage therapist. And I didn't realize, but kind of internally, subconsciously, I had made the determination that they were not going to out-diagnose me, that I would be able to diagnose myself faster than them. So every time the counselor asked a question, I'd figure out where she was going. I'd do the deep dive internally and then articulate what I believe was the full diagnosis of myself. And we were on our second or third session paying like, you know, a hundred bucks an hour. And And then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of another self-diagnosis and this therapist stops me and she says, Greg, you know, you do a really good job of diagnosing yourself. And I was thinking, well, you know, you said it, not me, you know, but, uh, you do a really good job of diagnosing yourself. She said, but I see no real change in your life. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there there's the rub. I, I, I've got all this information in my head. I can do the best deep dive. I can write dissertations on myself and my issues, but it leads to no actual transformation. And then so what it struck me. I've got all this knowledge of God. I have written papers, master's thesis, I've read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, but I am not seeing what Jesus would say would describe the life of someone who follows in his footstep of teaching me to live freely and lightly or a life defined by the fruit of the spirit of a life internally with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I was not seeing this in my life and it wasn't rippling out. So it was like, there's profound dissonance. I have so made my faith into a a information system of doctrine and, but all this information cannot change us. And so that's when I realized this and even the PCA, in my opinion, as much as I'm grateful for the season of the journey, it is so head centric. Uh, it is so about if you believe the right thing and understand the right thing, you'll be changed. And it is simply not true. Information alone will never change us. But I didn't know what to do with that or where to go with that. Um, and so it was in that process uh, that I slowly started discovering. And mainly it was through my, my wife because she was she was as burned out as I was. Uh, but mainly through my through my wife and watching her journey that I started exploring some spiritual practices and things that were more uh, less head-based and more heart-based and body-based. Things that would actually create space for the coins to drop, for all this great information in my head to land in my heart and land in my body. But I think we in the West, we have not been equipped to walk that journey. We we in the West have become so head-centric. Uh, so focused on information, we have reduced the gospel to a system of doctrine or an intellectual belief system. And once we've done that, I just don't think people have been given the tools or, or the map or the compass to walk the inward spiritual journey in a way that actually leads to authentic transformation from the inside out. Um, and anyway, so, so that's that's the, I realized that, but I had no clue where to go. Um, and that's when um, and, and I and I talked about this, as you mentioned that with, with Dan, but it was really watching my wife. She went out and and because of the strange confluence of variables, we ended up getting this chair. And it's a beautiful chair that we put in our uh, uh, bedroom. And, and she said that we had three boys at home. She said, this is my corner of the house. No one's allowed to sit in this chair except me. And I said, that is fine. You know, our marriage was really tense and strained at that point because of all the stuff going on in the church and I was burned out. And that's when I remember she she said the day after we got the chair, she said, can you take the boys to school? And I said, sure. And I could tell she said, I'm just going to sit in my chair for a while. And I could tell she was going to do it for a while because she had like her books and a tea, you know, tea set and tissues and pens. And so I ended up coming back like four hours later and I said, babe, where are you? And she, she says, I'm up here. And I go up and she's still in that chair, like four hours later. And there's like crumpled up tissues all over the floor. And she's clearly been crying. And I said, what is happening? And she said, I've decided I'm going to spend hours in this chair every day until I either have a breakdown or a breakthrough. And of course I was hoping that she would have the breakthrough. Cause I just thought if she has a breakdown, I'm already, my tanks are empty. We've got three kids at home. I'm in trouble. And she did, she spent hours there the next day and the next day. And this turned into hours there for weeks. And this actually turned into months where she would spend three, four, five hours in that chair every day for months. And I just thought she is, I'm losing my partner. I'm she's, she's losing it. But then I remember uh, that the moment that touched me and I remember viscerally, I can just call it up. I can just feel the feelings of when this happened because, you know, we had three, small kids at home. And there'd been so much tension in our marriage. We'd barely been connecting. Most of our interactions were so full of, uh, you know, anger and quid pro quo. And I did this and you did that. And, and I was going out for another church meeting. It was like my fourth or fifth night out in a row because I was, you know, having a little bit of Messiah complex. I think I needed to be at every church meeting. And I went in, I was about to leave the door. And because that had been such a source of contention, all the church meetings, she would normally say, bye, or, you know, see, I hope you have a good meeting passive aggressively. And, uh, and instead of this time she came up and she gave me this hug and it wasn't, it wasn't like the A-frame hug where you're just touching shoulders. Like it was body to body, heart to heart, her cheek on my cheek. And then she kissed me on the cheek and she said, I hope you have a really great meeting. And it was just sending me out with this blessing and this moment of connection and real heart intimacy that we hadn't had in a long time. And I remember thinking, I don't deserve that. I've not earned it because of how well of a husband I've been or how good of a father, because I've not been present at all, but it struck me as a huge difference. And then again, watching her, she started laughing more from her belly. Uh, It was like, to me, it was like watching this Caterpillar build a cocoon and then come out this butterfly, or it was like watching that moment in the original wizard of Oz where everything's black and white. And then she steps out and Oz and everything's technicolor watching Beth go through all this. It was like she was becoming technicolor. And, and I finally stopped her one day and I said, babe, what, what's going on with you? And she said, well, all I can say is it's that time in the chair. And and I said, well, what's happening in that chair? She said, well, it's for the first time I've created space in my life kind of for my soul to catch up to my body. And I've stepped off the hamster wheel. And while everybody else is in fast motion, I've created space for this stillness. And she said, for the first time, I'm actually experiencing the presence of God. From the inside out not as a concept but really as a as a felt experience and i didn't know what to do with that except i ran out and bought a chair you know i just ran out and bought a chair thinking this has got to be it so i put a chair down in my den get up the next morning make coffee she goes up to her chair i'm so excited i go down to my chair and i realized i've got no idea what to do uh in my chair i have no clue i'm not i know what i'm not gonna do i'm not gonna read hebrew and greek in the bible I'm not going to do my prayers like I've been doing. So I finally said, I'm going to sit in this chair every day for at least half an hour and do absolutely nothing. I'm just going to sit and do nothing. And I said, God, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in my life. You know that I don't have the tools to have connection with you beyond just some cerebral dissertation writing. So if there's going to be anything that happens here, it's going to be you doing this to me. And like sunbathing, like I'm just going to sit here and trust it. I'm bathing in your presence. And uh, so th- that's what I did uh, for days and weeks. And at the beginning, it was hell because it was so uncomfortable and I felt so inept. Uh, and then slowly over time, I started feeling that transformation where the coins started dropping, where I started experiencing in my heart and in my body things that I'd known about or read about. Uh, like, I remember the very first time that I was in the centering prayer time. And I was totally still, and it felt like I was completely immersed in divine love and presence. You know, those words of Paul to the Athenian philosophers of, in God, we live and move and have our being. And that's the language of immersion. You know, that's the language of marination and saturation. And I was like, I had this felt experience that God was not far off in heaven, that I've got to like, pray off to like, I'm a walkie talkie. God's right here, you know, closer than my very being closer than my thoughts. And it was this visceral knowing. And I'd written papers about the presence of God and location of God, but it would have all been cerebral. And it was the first time really I experienced God's presence. I'm sorry. That's a long answer to your short question.
0: No, it's so good though, man. Cause it's, it's so funny how similar our experiences are like. And I, I mean, it was, so I didn't have the experience with like my wife, going out and getting a chair but like I started to have this this experience where like um my wife was the catalyst though honestly she was mm. the catalyst because she asked me um because I don't know you can see one of my bookshelves behind me but there are three more of them that are just as full <laughs> and I've gotten rid of a bunch of books and I've read um, all of them and she would like I would just sit there and read and read and read and read and she was like Josh what are you searching for mm. and when she asked me that question I was like, at first I was dumbfounded. I was like, what, yeah. what do you mean? What am I searching for? Like, that's a, like, why that's dumb. I don't know. I'm just reading these books. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. But then <laughs> that question, that, that question stuck with me. And when I was able to honestly ask myself the question, Josh, what are you searching for? It was exactly mm-hmm. what you were describing. I had all this knowledge about God. I could uh, pontificate about, you know, whatever, Um, I knew all the theological terms. I could convince you that I'm an Arminian. I could then turn around and convince (laughs) you that I'm a Calvinist. I could then convince (laughs) you that I'm open and relational. Like I, I knew it all. I could do it. Um, intellectually, but what I, what I noticed what I was searching for is like, I know God, but I don't know God. Mm. Like, in the same way that I can know. So hockey, Alex Ovechkin, the captain of the Washington capitals, I can know all this stuff about him. I can know where he was born, that he's Russian, how many goals he scored, but unless I meet and experience him, I don't know him. Yeah, (laughs) It's just, I know about. And so like that, that realization kind of set me on a a spiral as well. um, Where that's really when I started to notice that, my interior and exterior world weren't lining up. Yeah. Um, as a pastor, I like this. So there's a comedian named Bo Burnham. Oh, yeah. At the end of one of his specials called Make Happy, he brings up the lights and he basically gives this monologue. And he says, because he's talking about his depression, he's so depressed. And he yeah. says, um, my job as a comedian is to get up on stage and offer you people something that I can't even give to myself. Mm-hmm. But I hope you're happy. And then he drops mm. the mic and he walks off stage. <laughs> and I was like, Bo, that's exactly how I feel.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> my yeah. job
0: as a pastor is to get up on the stage and offer people something that I can't even find for myself. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, then like, I mean, I met um this lady, Sid, who's my spiritual director. I've talked about her a ton on this podcast and in spiritual direction is when, um, I first started to have like started to learn that there's a deeper form of knowing than just intellectually. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Sid really started pushing me down that path. And then another big key moment for me um, was an interview that I did with Rob Bell. Two things happened in that interview that shifted course for me. One, mm. I tried to outline his new book, everything is spiritual and then have an intellectual conversation with him about it. <laughs> and when I told him that, he laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed at me and he was like, he really tried that." Like he was like, "Man, that must have been hard. Like good luck with that." Um so but he was so graceful about it though. Like it wasn't mm. like, you're an idiot. It was just like, "I see." And then he challenged me to shift from head to heart. And he was like, mm. "Josh, ditch your outline, like literally throw it on the floor. So I did, so I couldn't get it. And he said, no, I want you to feel your way through this interview. He was like, Mm. stop what you're doing. Turn off that, you know, he said, beautiful Josh intellect of yours and sink down Mm. from your head into your heart Mm. and let your heart like, like where, where do you want to go next? He's like, I'll give you a second, feel your way to the next question. Don't think about it. And that was like, that set me down you know a whole path and then also at the end of that episode at the end of that episode um i made a joke to him that i had thought up and i was like really wanted to make it and i was super nervous that like it's like hopefully this lands and that it's funny um i asked him i said rob before you go i just have one favor i want to ask you if i ever write a book someday i need you to tweet out farewell josh patterson (laughs) and rob just you know he lost it, he started laughing yeah yeah Uh, and he was like, well, I'll I'll do you even better. How about I just say it right now? Farewell, Josh Patterson. Hmm. And though that phrase coming from Rob Bell were some of the most healing words I've ever heard in my life. Hmm. I can't explain it to you intellectually because it did, right it didn't hit me there. Yeah. Um. It hit me in in my heart and in my body.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: And that was kind of the key that broke the 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 it detached me from josh's a pastor and it Mm. it allowed me to start seeing and giving myself permission to know and trust and feel the presence of god um yeah here within uh yes and have the interior and the exterior start to line up and Mm. that's what gave me permission to then step away from the church and become a bartender
1: (laughs) (laughs) it it and, fi- and, and do you find now after that shift, even though culturally it would seem far more incongruent, I'm guessing that it feels far more congruent, the outside and the inside of where you are now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I allowed myself to slip. Um, mm. And, and I, I told you this, I started to give into the same temptations um, that if I'm honest with myself, uh, were some of the driving motivators behind me becoming a pastor. There was some mm. ego involved. And I very quickly, after being a bartender for like a couple weeks at this brewery that is the fastest growing brewery in Maryland, it is rapidly expanding. I had the Mm. opportunity to become the general manager and I took the position, even Mm -hmm. though I was perfectly content and happy as a bartender. Um, And I told myself like I was being all spiritual about it, like I'm not going to attach myself to this position or to the title. If I don't get it, it's all good. I'm just going to go with the flow, whatever. Um, then I ended up getting the position and I went right back into the place where I used to be as a pastor. Just now the title looked different. It was GM of this brewery. Mm. And I started giving up things that I value in my life, like being able to have time in like centering prayer, contemplative practice, being able to have time to read, being able to have time to just to be still being yeah. able to see my wife, to eat dinner with my wife every night all of these things that you know to see my family to go to family functions i gave up all of those things for a stupid title and hmm. the interior and the exterior broke apart once again mm-hmm. and i became depressed again my anxiety came back um i just wasn't happy and it started mm-hmm. leading me to resent the place that i had come to love because the brewery was awesome yeah and so uh one day like it Was a late night and I had um more than a few beers, so I was a little bit inebriated. And mm. when I went to bed, I decided for whatever reason, um, that I was going to set my alarm early and the next morning I was going to get up and I was going to have you know do contemplative practice, I was going to do a centering prayer, yeah. And um, I did, and when I got up from that prayer, um, not You'll understand the language, but not intellectually, but I had a deep knowing that today mm-hmm. I'm going to resign as GM.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then my brain was like, Josh, that's the dumbest thing you've said in a long time. <laughs> but I was like, no, I mm. I know. You knew. You I knew. knew. And so I did. Yeah. I went to work and I resigned. <laughs> <laughs> and now things are starting to come back into alignment. Uh, mm. Once again, it's scary. Um, yeah. Because I have a house and bills to pay, but um, the the dis the disalignment, if that's a word, was not worth it to me. Yeah, I have a job and a title and money and success and whatever. Just pfft. so
1: right, right. And it it, it again, we're, we're bombarded constantly by messages from our cultural context of what is going to bring happiness. Uh, yeah. and it simply is uh, so many of them are not true. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, but, but we're so conditioned. I mean, I, f- I think Killian no in, in her book said, you know, we've been taking in these cultural messages with our, with, with our mother's milk, you know, that from the moment we were born and took our first breath, we've been bombarded with these messages of what will bring happiness. And that's the same true in spiritual circles and church circles of what's supposed to like when I was the pastor of that church, again, every metric for success, we were crushing it. And I was so not happy, and my wife was not happy. And it, again, it took so much of cultivating space to to begin to connect with a Christ within, with the kingdom of God within, and trusting what's happening on the inside enough to risk jettisoning. Really, it was exploding in a graceful way out of that whole system. And for us, it was you know, it finally reached a point and where where my wife said to me, I said, you know, I'm I'm really contemplating leaving the church. And she said, Greg, I would, I would much rather have us, you know, again, like live in a car as a family and you are pr- present as a husband and as a dad than us stay where we are and us can and you continue to be this way. And we had maybe three or four, or five months worth of savings. And I left. I left that church with no other job options. And it was a blend of foolishness and faith and hope and desperation. It was the smoothie of all these variables. And I had no idea. And it was, and we had two kids in private school there at the time. And it's like watching the bank account drain so quickly. And I, my wife and I started this nonprofit that was focused on spiritual direction and, and retreats. Cause that's what we needed. Right. But it was not, I was barely, I was so fried that I maybe I'd have one or two meetings a week. Like maybe I was bringing home like $400 a month, you know, which wouldn't even cover a a part of the mortgage, you know, let alone all the other bills. And it was this terrifying transition. Um, But it was also this willingness to go with what we, my wife and I both felt in our beings Uh, and there was a a trust. And so in many ways, I, I will say this in my experience, the, Usually people that are brought to that point of desperation, there is either a leaping off of the cliff or there is a complete shutdown and you just almost turn into the zombie to remain within the system. And uh, those that I've just watched over the years that have jumped off the cliff, theologically, you know, economically those that are willing to risk it and following what is happening within and again it has to be grounded i'm not saying just some willy-nilly emotion what you know it was something that came to through a lot of spiritual practice conversation with spiritual directors my wife and i wrestling with this in fact way before i left what my spiritual director said you need to be here you know if you think that the grass is greener then you need to stay here a while longer because you're going to go with yourself. So until you experience change within yourself, don't leave the church. And so I stayed like another nine months past when I wanted to leave. Uh, and so that was, that was a part of my, my own journey. But when we did ultimately it was wild how just when things look like, Oh gosh, we're, we're going to have to leave the house foreclose, you know, they're going to foreclose on the mortgage. And all of a sudden all these opportunities started rolling in Um And we got by, and sometimes there would, you know, kind of the classic story where I'd have a bill for uh, $1,800, and I had no idea, and then someone would randomly drop a check in the mailbox for $1,800 exactly, and they wouldn't know, there's some some crazy stuff like that would happen. Um, But ultimately, it was that willingness to trust what was happening of that, uh, of within. And that, that can sound for someone that is stuck in for, for someone that is not familiar with what I'm talking about, that can just sound like, oh, follow your willy nilly emotions, or just follow your woo woo gut instinct. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that after truly cultivating the center of knowing that is the body, the body's a the center of intelligence, the heart is a center of intelligence, the mind's a the center of intelligence. And we've only been taught To cultivate the mind. We've been taught that the mind is this like priceless Stradivarius violin and that the heart and the body are like kazoos. They're like these lame instruments that are not trustworthy, but you can trust your mind. And it's wrong. It's ridiculous. The the heart is a gorgeous instrument. The body is a stunning instrument. And the more that we actually learn to cultivate those three centers of intelligence, I really, I mean, so this, when when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in the Hebrew understanding, soul was inseparable from the body. It was the same. It was utterly connected. So he was saying, and I don't think he was saying three random things. I mean, I think he was naming the three centers of intelligence. Love God with your heart, with your soul body, and with your mind. And and we have neglected two of the three in the West. And so I think spiritual practice creates the space for us to cultivate the brilliance of the body, the brilliance of the heart, so that we experience God holistically. And that's how we experience transformation from the inside out.
0: Yeah. And it's like, for me, that's exactly what you're describing is what I had been looking for the whole time to answer Mm Noah's question. And like, once you finally start to see that and tap into it, it can get scary because like you were saying at the, you know, the start of the show, you have your friends, your buddies, the people you trust and respect, you, you know, your people, so to speak, telling you like, no, don't, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't do yeah. this thing.
1: Yep.
0: But then, you know, once you start doing it and there's this liberation and this freedom and transformation, you're like, wait a minute, all of this yeah. stuff that Jesus was talking about, like, huh, this is interesting. The fruits of the spirit are being cultivated. Um, yeah. 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 It's just, it's, I mean, it's crazy. And like now just this, I mean, I don't even know. I'm, I show, showed you like a little meme uh, before we started recording. That's <laughs> so perfectly describes my life right now. <laughs> Listeners, basically it's a um, it's a picture. I'll give you the words first. Cause um, you know, it won't make sense if I tell you the picture first and it says me, my ducks are absolutely not in a row me at this point i don't even know where my ducks are and then it says my ducks and it's a picture of a police car with the ducks like in the back seat <laughs> <laughs> like completely yeah. detained and like that is so that is so much how i feel about life right now um yeah i'm just in this this place of unknown but at the same time i have so much peace about it because yeah. the unknowingness has been brought about by listening to not just head but head heart and body yeah and like this deeper sense of knowing um an, an experiential knowledge um of god and learning to like trust things and also like it's transformed me in a way that's like i mean it's not perfect but like hopefully it's going in the direction of like give give me the eyes of christ like allow me to see things the way that you see and that as that transformation is cultivated it's like i'm breaking out of the illusion that i've been like given growing up my entire life like there's it's like the movie the matrix like it's like coming out of the matrix which i know sounds so weird and and woo woo um but it's just like i get that yeah like like a breakdown like breaking free from the illusion that you know, these are the things that make you happy. This is what you need to do to have success. And like, like, this is all bullcrap. <laughs> yeah. Um. And realizing that everything I need to be happy, I already have right here and right, right. now. Um, right. And I've had it the whole time. Yes. It's, it's not that it was not there. It's this, I just, that's, I wasn't aware of it.
1: That, that to me, that, that's the rub, right? To me, that, that's when, when, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, He, you know, I used to think it was a place we go to, right? We go to the kingdom of God after we die. And then, but then that doesn't make sense in the way he's, because he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. It's present tense. So it can't be a place we're going to. So it's, I believe the kingdom of God is not a place we go to, but a place we see from. It is a new way of seeing everything. And, and that's what to me, spiritual practice does. It creates space for us to step off the hamster wheel, to step out of uh, autopilot and create space for our the, the the covering of our eyes to slowly fall off that we can actually begin to see that, oh my gosh, we've been immersed in divine love and presence. We've been marinating in the beauty all around and within this whole time. And I'm only now being able to see it. I've not earned it. I've not attained it. It's been true the whole time. I've just been blind to it. And I do believe that the spiritual process in life is a journey of slowly growing an awareness of what already is.
0: Mm, uh, dude, a hundred percent. I think too, like that's, at least for me, how I've been using the word more recently, what you're describing is at least part of what I think Jesus meant by the word salvation. Um, or what, or what oh, I mean, 100%. By salvation. this is what I yes, like I when I say agree. salvation, this is what I mean. It's like, it's this awakening and an awareness to, um, yeah, exactly. Like you said, the presence of God, that's been here the whole time. Um, it's it's recognizing that every bush is a burning bush. <laughs> yes, yes. And and one hundred percent. Yeah, and that uh, like Moses uh, when he took off his sandals because the ground was holy, the ground didn't magically become holy, but rather Moses was awakening to the reality that was present and true the entire time. Yes. Um, and that I think is salvation, and, and and I love how you said that the kingdom of God is a lens that we see through. Um, and I think that's what it means, like put on the mind of Christ, you know, be transformed yes. by the renewing of your mind, um, and I don't think it's a mistake or an accident that so much of what Jesus did was helping blind people see, and then Paul yes. uses the that imagery constantly, yes. you know, eyes to see, ears to hear. It's an awakening to um, the present reality that already exists and has been here the entire time, and I think that is a much better understanding of salvation because then that cultivates transformation.
1: Um, yeah. It, one keeps it externally. And, and I know you had Brian McLaren on, but he, yeah. he talked about we've reduced the gospel to a uh, an evacuation plan for the next yeah. life. you know that, uh, And whereas I believe that Jesus was in, in no way uh, detracting from the idea of what happens after we die, but I believe Jesus was principally teaching us how to live fully in this life and to transform and heal this world and we're not just on pause with the world going to hell in a handbasket just abiding our time until we get to the good stuff you know i think that this life is what he was inviting us to experience fullness and that we are part of being of seeing this of god's dream for this world being fulfilled and so that to me is is this healing journey so salvation you're right and again in no way to detract from some of the other soteriological systems, but I believe even using the word sin, like I think sin is when we look at the garden and not to wax too poetically here, but I mean, theologically here, but that when we look at the garden, they were in perfect harmony, the gorgeous story of the Genesis, the the Adam and Eve are in perfect harmony with each other, with nature and with God, then they eat the apple and all of a sudden they realize that they're naked. And so they're feeling shame. And they look down and now they're separate from themselves. Then they hear God. They're terrified of God. So they run and hide from God. They're separate from God. And then when God says, what have you done? The first thing Adam does is blame Eve. The woman actually blame God and Eve. The woman that you made gave me the apples. So that's separation from each other. But interestingly enough, nothing externally in the story changed. The only thing that changed was their lens on life, their consciousness, their worldview shifted, but nothing else changed. But they went into a delusion of separation And in 1950, early 1950s, Einstein had a friend, Albert Einstein had a friend whose son died of polio and he wrote him a letter. And he said, it's a one paragraph letter and I've seen it. He says, to comfort his friend, he said, uh, we live in a world where we perceive ourselves as separate from everything else. And it is an optical delusion of consciousness. He says the work of true religion is pretty much to heal this optical delusion of consciousness that we're separate. And when I talk about... Jesus coming to rescue us from sin, I believe sin, capital S, is this consciousness of separation, this optical delusion of consciousness that we are separate from ourselves, from God, from creation, and one another. And the gospel, the kingdom of God, is an invitation to heal that delusion and begin to recognize, oh my gosh, we've been utterly immersed and connected the whole time, and I've been living in this delusion of separation. And that to me, that you 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 can't think yourself there. You have to experience that from the inside out in love, compassion, forgiveness, grace, uh, and and through that space of of, of authentic connection and through spiritual practice. That to me, I think the most powerful way, the most powerful spiritual t- technology to to facilitate that shift of consciousness and healing of our delusion is spiritual practice.
0: Uh, dude, I'm hundred percent with you. And the thing that kept me from getting there that i had to work like the main thing i struggled with in spiritual direction with my spiritual director for like eight months yeah was this idea that god doesn't like me Mm. i don't want to get to know this guy that you're talking about because when i do it's going to suck god is angry (laughs) at me you know i'm wow yes sinful i'm I'm evil i can't go and meet this god that's scary and like i had to believe in a God that was love. And mm-hmm. what happened was my intellect, I I've, I found a way intellectually to get there. Um, that's what open and relational theology did for me. Mm-hmm. And the work of someone like Tom Ord, who gives this you know yeah. idea of essential kenosis, where I could say, okay, intellectually, I can now believe in a God who is love. So that allowed me to then experience, experientially yes. step yeah. into a space where I was comfortable to open myself up to that and be like holy crap I was missing this this entire time yes and then it's it was so weird because then different people that I had read in the past that like I liked and enjoyed but I I didn't quite get what they were saying like Richard Rohr and Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa of Avila Um, Mm -hmm. These Christian mystics were saying stuff that sounded nice, but I didn't experience it. And as soon as that experiential knowledge of God came through spiritual practice, what they were saying made sense, because I was like, Oh, yes, they're describing this experiential thing that I've had that I can't put into words. Um, Because it's like trying to describe a song to somebody that they've never heard before. Right. You know, you can say that there's a drum and there's, you know, playing four, four time signature and there's a lead guitar and they're playing, you know, uh, G, A minor, F, whatever. But until I actually hear an experience, they won't know what you're talking about, at least not deeply. Right. And that, that was the key for me. Like that broke me open. And then just, yeah, like now it's like, like i can't not (laughs) yeah like see an experience and it's it's just crazy Uh,
1: i really appreciate what you said too about you know one thing when we it could be easy to hear what we're talking about and thinking that we're speaking of then the mind's intelligence in a pejorative or dismissive way and in no way to me i'm like you i'm a bibliophile i love reading nonstop but I do have a recognition of the limits of the mind's uh, capacity or or how far it can take me. It it is limited in how far it can take me. And I do think that we need intellectual systems of faith that are congruent with tradition, with science, with sociology and psychology. I think we need them to be intellectually consistent. And, And that gives us kind of the scaffolding that we can then hang our experiences on. Then when we have an experience in our heart or our bodies, we say, okay, that is resonant with this system. That makes sense. So I do think it all has to work together. So I love continuing to read and expand my mind. I also am no longer under the delusion that if I just understand something well enough, I will a experience it and b transform. that we, it takes more than that. So it's, 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 it's a limited repertoire the mind's intelligence and we need to add the gorgeous, instrument of the heart and the body, which is whats is what you're describing. And I think when you were talking about that moment of centering prayer, about recognizing, oh my gosh, I'm feeling tension in my body. My priorities are out of whack now that I'm general manager. I felt the same tension as general manager as I did when I was a pastor. And while culturally, this is the trajectory towards upward mobility, viscerally, experientially, I'm not having a time with my wife. I'm not having a time with my practices I'm not having the prioritization of what I know is life-giving to me. And so when you had that centering prayer time, you came out of it knowing. And you're right, kind of the, the, the egoic consciousness was there saying, dude, you're crazy. This is against culture. This is unsafe. You, you need the cash. Uh, and, and yet a deeper knowing transcended uh, that you knew. But again, your capacity to cultivate the trust in that deeper knowing, that takes time. That takes time. It's 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 like any other skill. It's like get riding a bike. And if you do it, you'll get better and better at it. But it's called practice because it's a practice. Uh, you know, no one just gets off the sofa and runs a marathon, right? You you begin incrementally and you begin to build yourself up. And as you do, you grow in a confidence in your capacity to listen to the brilliance of your body and your heart and your mind. But, and that's what I mean. I think putting on the mind of Christ is all three centers of intelligence.
0: Yeah, no, that's for sure. A hundred percent uh that was so well said um because yeah like i mean just like you said i don't want to ditch the intellectual stuff because i love it i'm the total nerd um but what is so interesting for me is that like the two big things theologically that i care about the most from like an intellectual perspective is one jesus centered everything um mm. so like centering jesus and then applying mm. that to literally everything else um and then open and relational theology And what's interesting about that is the combination of those two things plus hearing from the the mystics and other contemplatives and then experiencing those things for myself those three things like they work it it Mm. like it they go together intuitively it like makes it all kind of makes sense um and so like i'm not trying to use that to argue and tell somebody that like if you're not open and relational then you're just completely wrong Um, that's not the point, but what I'm saying is that within my experience, how I experience God resonates deeply when I center Jesus in everything, Mm. have this open and relational perspective, and Mm -hmm. then listen to what the mystics were saying since forever. (laughs) And it just all resonates in jails and it it matches my experience, the the inner and the outer align. I'm like, huh, it's really interesting.
1: So and and the beauty, and the beauty too of knowing. That even where we are right now, as expansive as it might be, I, I've learned in my own my own journey that no matter how, if, no matter what new cocoon or chrysalis I bust out of, thinking it's totally expansive, I know that in short order, it's going to begin to feel constricted again, and yep, I'm going to have <laughs> to bust out into another chrysalis. And we were talking earlier about the trapeze bars, yes. right? It's like. We, each paradigm, each kind of system of belief is like a bar on the trapeze, and we think, oh, I feel so comfortable swinging here now, but all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, we see a new bar swing towards us, and we begin to look at it for a while, and we begin to chew our way out of our existing chrysalis, and then all of a sudden, there comes that time that we let go of our existing system, and we are doing that terrifying hurtling in the in-betweenness, where we're, we are unmoored, we, we feel like theologically, or economically uh, or sociologically we're unmoored and we're in that in-betweenness and we haven't grasped the new bar yet but to me that, that is the exhilarating terrifying beautiful reality of journeying from Egypt to the promised land you know that is the spiritual journey through the wilderness and there is no evolution without the 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 beautiful in-betweenness that and we're only usually willing to step out of the boat or let go of the bar when it's a combination of variables, mostly desperation and hope. <laughs> desperation and hope. Kiss, and that's where we have the courage to let go. Um, and to me, that's that is uh, all a part of this journey. And that's what ultimately led me to you know th- to the second breath, uh, which which is where I am now. Which our whole passion is giving people the compass and the map to walk the inward spiritual journey, that we're taking what the mystics have been saying for centuries, we're blending that with tradition and scripture, which is so elegant, and then we also have all this modern science now that is saying, oh yeah, this is what's happening to your brain when you meditate, this is what's happening to your nervous system when you breathe this way, this this is what what Jesus intuited 2,000 years ago, and what St. Francis and Teresa of Avila what they intuited are now is saying, yeah, and this is why this really is what's, this is changing your brain structures to be less anxious and more compassionate. And so at second breath, we t- teach hundreds of spiritual practices. We, we have the intellectual framework that is blended with scripture and tradition and, and what the mystics have said and science, but then we really pragmatically teach. These are the practices then that research is saying, will do this. And, this is why Jesus was going off to lonely places to pray. You know, he was he was stepping off the hamster wheel to can create space for that connection for for the, to heal that delusion of separation and open awareness to his intimate connection with God. I mean, that to me is what the, the the beauty of the journey.
0: Oh, absolutely. And like
1: uh Second Breath
0: has that like really helpful app um that connects people to those kind of practices and stuff like you're talking about.
1: Um yeah, that, and I mean That was a, a labor of love.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right on. <laughs> where it's awesome, it's it's cool. Like, I mean, even like the nerdy, like techie side of me is like, wow. Like the user interface on this is beautiful. This is you know great. Mm. Um, so I I really I like the app. Like I, I was telling you, I used it this morning. Um, I did another guided meditation, uh, centering prayer, and this one was interesting. Um, as I was telling you, like the the previously when we talked completely. Off air. Although that conversation probably should have been recorded too, Um, (laughs) I, you know, had that experience um, of needing to step down, and then today uh, I, I woke up and I, you know, it's it's a day off. I had all this time on my hands, and um, I was really resisting uh, praying this morning, Mm. and then instead I picked up a book and started reading, and Mm. it's a, a book that. I've had for a while. It's called the Jesuit guide to almost everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like, I started it and then kind of, you know, it got lost in the shuffle. And so I randomly decided this is what I was going to read, picked it up. And he started talking about how whenever you resist prayer is probably when you should do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, (laughs) it felt super called out. And uh, I was like, gosh, man, like, all right so I, I did, I went upstairs, I locked myself in the room that I'm in right now. This is where I, I pray. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Mm. and it was fantastic. Like it's exactly what was needed, but also when I was done that prayer, um, I knew some other things. (laughs) Um, like Mm I, I, I knew that, um, my time where I'm currently at, uh, at the brewery that I'm currently at is coming to an end. Um, I was describing Mm. to you that with my spiritual director um we would do like imaginative kind of prayer so she would you know invite me like okay place yourself at the bar imagine jesus there with you like where's Mm -hmm. jesus locationally how is jesus responding and so when i've been praying this way for a while because it was helpful for me to be like okay jesus is okay with josh is not a pastor he's in a bar um and typically, Jesus would be at the very corner of the bar. You know, we have a circular bar. He'd be at the very end of it every time, laughing, having a good time, um, and, like, always ordering one more round for everyone at the bar. Mm. That had been my experience. But after today's prayer, when I, you know, when I went looking for Jesus at the bar, so to speak, he wasn't sitting where he normally was. And I was like, what mm. the heck? Yeah. And instead, Jesus was up at the door like hey come on like it's time to mm. go and i was so confused i was like what and he was like yeah it's it's time to go and on the way out though there were four different people um that like were there that i needed to forgive jesus mm. like but on your way out yeah you have to forgive these people mm. um, and the first two were these drunk guys that on separate occasions i had to remove from the bar physically mm. um that you know called me all sorts of names and whatever mm-hmm. and part of me the ego side of me was like oh yeah that's right like you know all the girls that worked for me they saw me this little guy remove these big drunk guys from the bar mm-hmm. and you know it built my ego um yeah. but I, I held resentment towards those people at the same time but then also um the other two people were the owners of mm. the bar and mm. there's some forgiveness work that needs to be done there um and this was all just like came like flooding in um Mm. and so like after that time of prayer was just like you know well there it is when you when you resist it uh it's when you need to do it the most um it's like those those two for me as far as spiritual practices go centering prayer and then also the imaginative kind of prayer um have both been insanely helpful for me
1: yeah yeah. Yeah. Th- this and and you know the, I think imagination that's been a, a, in a Christian tradition for centuries and centuries and centuries and it was uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola uh, after he was wounded in battle and gave up his life as a soldier he went to the caves in Manresa and wrote the Spiritual Exercises which became the base for Ignatian spirituality the Jesuits and it, all, a huge practice they're supposed to do regularly is imaginative prayer because. It's trusting that imagination is a gift from God that can be a very vehicle that the Spirit uses to open our eyes to ways and things that we can't think our way there, but we experience them through imagination. And I also think that imagination is so powerful, and that's why Jesus principally taught in stories, because that the story and imagination has the capacity to get around our defenses in a way that didactic linear argument can't, because it awakens the heart in a way that that really heals us and i agree centering prayer and imaginative prayer are huge Uh, and and one thing what i found one problem when people talk about spiritual practice and contemplative practice is they think that in some ways like we're taking the monastic life that is really only suited to people who are maybe extreme introverts and don't want to be around people. And then we're attempting to then take that and micro it into our busy real world experience. And I am an extrovert and my wife says I have undiagnosed ADHD. And I think she's probably right. But like, I am off the charts, active and busy. I, the monastic life I, would not work for me. And the problem is spiritual practice is so much bigger than just close your door, lock it, t- turn down the lights and light a candle. That's amazing. But you can have just as rich of an experience on a walk in nature you can have just as rich an experience looking laying on the beach and contemplating contemplating the waves it's a spiritual practice is simply an intentional and regular act we choose to step out of autopilot step off the hamster wheel of our normal operating procedure and create the intention of growing in awareness of our already existing connection with god ourselves one another and creation if we with intention, create that space regularly. That could be when you're rock climbing, that could be when you're riding your bike, that could be when you're sitting in your room doing nothing except sunbathing, like I was doing in my chair and all of those things. There's so many ways that we can connect and it's all throughout the day that we can create that space. And it's amazing as we, the more that we practice, the more that we shift our awareness to realize that, like you said, every bush is a burning bush, that every leaf Every blade of grass, every person is popping with divine presence and beauty. Everything, because you know, all things are held together in Christ. Created in Him and held together through Him, is that poetic words of of Scripture. And so, to me, that's that's the gorgeous. That we begin to see what has been true the whole time.
0: Mm, yeah, dude. And like a really just practical example um, of exactly what you're talking about. When I was reading that book this morning. There was like a little anecdote off to the side about a gentleman who worked at it was either like a college or a university and their whole job was to like when people walked in they greeted them you know they helped new students find their classes all this kind of stuff they were jesuit priests um and whenever like they were working doing their job what they would picture is that the next person to walk through that door was going to be christ and so mm-hmm. who was ever on the mm-hmm. outside of that door, whenever he would go to greet somebody, he would say to himself, here I come, Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's a spiritual practice. That's awakening yes. to the, the, the awareness, that, that's having the awareness of, of what's already what's already true. And um, it made me chuckle because I was like, okay, how can I take this and apply it? And it's like, okay, so say I'm standing behind the bar. Someone will mm. for me. Um, I can pour it and then say, here I come, Lord. Down in front of them powerful it's crazy right
1: yeah powerful and, <laughs> and, and there's and there's so many things that like because we can have our times in the mornings our times in the evenings which are much more i, I like to have a, a book to my day you know i like to have a, a deliberate time and my book in the evening might it doesn't mean it's 20 minutes of centering prayer it could just be when i'm taking the 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 big pillows off of the bed i'm just reviewing my day briefly to say when did i feel most alive today when did i feel mm. most disconnected today you know and and so it, it doesn't have to be this massive thing, but it's an intentional, regular activity we're choosing to create that space. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes to even now, the more we know with science, you know, in the early church, the, the desert fathers and mothers, they would teach breath prayer. They would teach prayers that you would, as you inhale, you would say one thing and exhale, you would say another, just say, you know, um, uh, Christ, you are Lord or Abba. I belong to you. And they would teach these prayers that flow with your breath to the point where when you're breathing, it would just say, even when you're subconsciously breathing, you're praying. But so we know, too, like for, for me, if I'm driving and I get stuck at another red light and I feel my body tense and braced, that a spiritual practice. I know if I know this, if my body's braced, most likely I'm going to be operating out of my ego if on a muscular level. If my body's tensed and braced, I'm not going to be my best self. Uh, and so one of the first things I do is I take a slow, deep breath and attach intentionally relax my muscles. Mm-hmm. And we know scientifically that as you begin to relax your body, that your a lot of times your brain activity will shift from your amygdala, which is that fight or flight primitive part up to your frontal lobe, which is where there's creativity that, that we, we know this. this is a spiritual practice. Things like breath practice, body practice, heart practice can literally change our the way our brains function and operate and mm-hmm. and once we know all this together it's the most practical thing in the world okay if i actually stop and take time to meditate doing imaginative prayer or take time to breathe in these breath practices that are as ancient as our christian tradition that we know this is what jesus intuited and he taught and now we're realizing oh this is what's happening to the body mm-hmm. you know when i think about the more they say there's a great study by dr sheryl Lazar at a mass general and I won't get all the details, but it's a little TED talk. It's worth checking out. But she had people do meditation and mindfulness for just eight weeks. And it literally changed the structures of their brain. It shrunk their amygdala, which is that primitive fight or flight part, and enlarged in their frontal lobe, which was that creative energy part. And so literally after eight weeks, people's brains changed to be less anxious and more present and more compassionate after just eight weeks so I think about okay if that's eight weeks what about after eight months or eight years what did Jesus's brain look like you know like how (laughs) small was Jesus's amygdala and how big was his frontal lobe and the parts that regulated compassion because of his regular space for spiritual practice and that's what I think he's embodied and he modeled for us Uh, there's that great verse in Matthew it's from the message version but he talks about are you tired worn out burned out on religion but that he ends it he says Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it. And then he says this, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Hmm. And I love that. To me, like if when we keep company with him, we learn to live freely and lightly. And and no longer, I will say this: all those years that I was in that evangelical fear-based system, I I was feeling like I was that frog and water, so much fear, so much anxiety, so much dissonance of internal, external world. And now in this new space, finally feeling like, Oh, this is what it feels like to live freely and lightly with, with no more dissonance, but harmony between my external and interior worlds. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. dude. I mean, and that's just, again, been my experience as well. Like it's a total, I don't know. It's the, the, I'm not trying, like don't want to pat myself on the back and, but it's like that transformation that I was looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that, yeah the the easy yoke, like all of those things um, yes. that Jesus promised like th- it's there.. <laughs> yep. And um when you were talking about like the the traffic thing, i've I found helpful spiritual practice too to be like uh to to detach myself from my emotion, not to um, hmm. identify Josh with the emotion. So mm-hmm. instead of saying Josh is angry, no. Josh is currently experiencing anger.
1: Brilliant.
0: And being able to ask myself, okay, Josh, why are you currently experiencing anger? Or yep. why are you currently experiencing depression? Why are you currently experiencing frustration? Um, and then not hinging my identity on Josh is angry. Josh yes. is depressed. Josh is yep. anxious. Um,
1: that, that, that is, that's a level, uh, level's the wrong word. That's an experience of wisdom That is another total game changer when you discover that I am not my thoughts, I am not my emotions. Right. That. That I am larger. Like my thoughts and emotions are like clouds floating by, and I'm like the big blue sky. But they don't define my identity. <laughs> right. And any feeling I'm feeling or thought I have is just shooting. Like my shot, thoughts shoot by like shooting stars, a million a minute. You know. And my emotions can range. Like they can, I can be happy as a clam, and then someone cuts me off, and I'm furious. You know. They can just. But that's not me. I'm. They're. They're just experiences there are clouds floating in the big blue sky and then once you really viscerally understand that it is so liberating because i used to define myself on my thoughts and my emotions oh my god i was talking about a a shit hole of a prison (laughs) absolutely
0: yeah it's like it's because because what you can do is like listener just go with me on this because it sounds weird but (laughs) next time you're angry or something or even just in this moment notice that you're aware of yourself right now you like, you can become aware of yourself. Like right now I am becoming aware of the fact that I am engaging in conversation with Greg and I can watch myself like from outside of this, I can become aware of myself outside of this noticing I'm having this conversation Mm -hmm. and it can be, it's, so it's like, what is, what is that thing that is aware of Josh having a conversation? Yeah. What is that? And that thing's untouchable because when you get angry, you are aware, you can become aware that Josh is angry. So what is that part of you that is aware of the fact that Josh is experiencing anger? And like that awareness is a major shift. Like it's just, it's crazy. It's
1: it's huge. And I remember when I was first having my chair time and my chair time became my favorite time of the day. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to have my 30 minutes of chair time in the morning. And the rest of the day is going to kind of suck when I just have to do stuff. And I remember Again, my spiritual director was inviting me to this, what you're describing. And he said, he said, now imagine when you're done with your 30 minutes and he said, and he was talking about lazy rivers. I don't know if you've done with lazy rivers where you're at the theme park, where you just flop into the inner tube and your yep. only job is literally to lay there while the current takes you around. Yep. He said, he said, when you're done with your 30 minutes of chair time, I want you to picture yourself in your mind's eye flopping into that lazy river inwardly, internally, and all day long your soul and being are just going to be resting and abiding in God's divine flow and presence. And that no matter how busy you are on the outside, the reality is on the inside, you're always resting and abiding. And and it was wild. It was like, it took, I realized that all of a sudden my chair time could be all the time. And I didn't have to be in my chair. I could even be having chair time when I was like right now speaking to you or when I'm super busy or when I'm exercising or when I'm in an argument that even then it's, the, the realization, and what I would do is just, I would just have glimpses all throughout the day that the reality is inwardly, I'm abiding and resting on that lazy rivers of floating in divine presence and flow. And it's amazing how that shifts your attitude. It shifts your day. It shifts your life when all day long you're remembering th- this is a, a true reality within. Hmm. Uh, and it, it's its a game changer. So, yeah, thats that's my daily practice all throughout the day. I know no matter how busy I am, and I'm very busy but that inwardly there's that rest. That's, that's a total game changer.
0: Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that, uh, that imagery. Um, yeah, that's nice. I, I like that a lot. And it's, it always, it's always amazing to me when like people are able to uh, find words or like a metaphor like that, that they explain mm. something to you with. And you're like, you know what, you're right. That's exactly what it's like. That's so helpful. Um, mm. but that's, that's a good one for sure. I like it. Yeah. That
1: was helpful. That was helpful.
0: Um so I guess Greg like just one question I I want to ask you and it's I mean it's already readily apparent and evident just from our conversation but like since you've started working at second breath and become intentional with these different spiritual practices um what has the fruit of that been for you in your life?
1: One would be and and this this is also being a part of the Episcopal church that was so expansive, you know, it's a wide open green field and all that I'm saying that I've said today, I'm free to say anytime I preach in the pulpit, like there's no, I'm not, there's no hiding. So one big variable has been that shift where the interior matches my external environment where I'm not hiding. Uh, that's, we're trying to figure it out. Like I'm just myself and I get to be me, really me and all and, and lean into that. That's a huge one, but probably on the, the the, the felt level. I mean, pragmatically. I mean, Jesus said, "You'll live freely and lightly if you follow me." Well, I'd been following him for years and didn't feel life freely and lightly. You know, I'd been reading the book, the Bible in Greek and Hebrew, but was not feeling internally love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. I, I was not experiencing it, and so, and I would say, as I have shifted, and begun. And again, Richard Royer, you brought him up earlier, one of my favorite authors, too. He says, he says a mystic, you know, a mystic isn't some like person that lives in a a cell with a mat. He says a mystic is simply someone who shifted from intellectual system of belief and doctrine to actual inner experience. And that to me is what happened in many ways. And in that broad definition of mystic that I shifted from intellectual system of belief to an actual inner experience. Of divine love and presence from the inside out. And it brought me a security of who I am. It gave me the courage, again, you know, I even to, you know, Second Press been around for 30 years, but we were connected with an Episcopal church uh, for many of those. And it was it's only been in the last year that I left this very steady paying job with great benefits as a priest in Episcopal church to be the executive director of second breath. And it was another one of those cliffs because I'm so passionate about second breath and teaching people how to walk this inward journey of faith and this outward journey of co-creative impact. But, you know, it's, it's another risk. This whole thing could completely fall apart and the funding might disappear. But to me, it's another one of those places of following that interior knowing. And so, so again, that's secure. Purity of willing to trust flow that's my wife and i call it trust flow just like resting in that lazy river trusting divine flow and abiding and resting in god's presence that to me so i would say the the interior exterior exterior, exterior lining up and being congruent actually experiencing the fruit of the spirit and what jesus would say would happen if we followed in his footsteps and also then the joy like Every day is like Indiana Jones, like it's an adventure. Like every day is waking up with who knows what's going to happen. And it is so thrilling. Uh, and but it it constantly, you know, it, it it feels to me like the that glorious journey from Egypt to the promised land, you know, that that through the wilderness where both you meet God and the wild things. Like this is that journey of life. And so all of that together just feels congruent. And I'll say this: I've never, never regretted it. Like this this life of of prioritizing my inner spiritual journey and and taking these steps. I'm like, so far I'm 49 right now, but I'm like, you know what? This has been a life that I'm grateful for. And I'm so grateful for where I am right now. And there's also great anticipation about what's next being, if it's this awesome, and experiencing divine presence and love is this spacious and expansive after this i can't wait what's it going to be like in five years or 10 years or 20 years you know if this is a continued healing of the delusion of separation to grow an awareness of connection with divine love all around and within oh my god this is just the beginning so it's to me to have that joy and optimism where when i was a pastor i would hit new years and look at the new year and be like this is shit i don't even want to answer the phone or go to work and now like bound out of bed like Tigger in many, on many days. And not to say I don't have suffering and anxiety and moments of depression. I do, but I would say that it's, it's undergirded by a deeper experience and reality of hope uh, and, and divine, divine presence.
0: Mm. Well, dude, I absolutely love that. Um, and don't know why anybody wouldn't want <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Uh, I mean, it's so beautiful. And like, um. I think just real quickly, something you said that just um, is interesting to me, because it's like one of the scary parts about, I guess, theologically for me, was like when you like it's been so expansive and then you realize, okay like once again, like it expands again and again and again. And like there was a point for me. So I got super involved with this thing called Jesus Collective. I'm just insanely helpful and healing. and, And it's wonderful. I'm still involved with them. Um, but there was a part where like the expansion that that brought is still, I like hit up against the wall again. And yeah. I was still so afraid because I was like, I, I don't know where else to go. Like, I'm, am I just going to lose my faith completely? Like, am I just mm. going to become that thing that everyone else told me I was going to become like a godless heathen, you know, atheist <laughs> or whatever. But it's like always, it's never that it's like, yeah. a, it's like, it's like, it seems like the trick is leaning into the darkness into the unknowing um, and embracing it. And then coming out on the other side, you're like, holy crap. Awesome. Um, And like, that just continues to happen. I mean, like I was telling you right now to use your metaphor, I feel like I've recently let go of the trapeze bar that was on and I'm waiting to grasp the next one, but to add to the metaphor, I'm doing it in a dark room (laughs) (laughs) when I just have to trust that the the next bar is going to be there and I'm waiting for it. Um, and I have, but the crazy thing that I, I can't intellectually comprehend is that I'm not worried about it. Mm. I am at peace. I am comfortable. Like I don't, I'm I'm not anxious about it. There's just a real, a genuine peace and acceptance and embrace of just life and yeah. it's I think that's part of the transformation thing like because if 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 I were talking this way a year ago I would be like freaking out like would yeah. be sleeping having anxiety attacks every day like but now I'm just like oh yeah I don't, I'm in the dark I don't really know where the thing is but um it'll it'll probably be there
1: yeah you know? it's like it that's, feels so different I love it 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 reminds like my favorite scriptural benediction that I uh, this is the main one I use after almost every at the end of almost every service when I'm still doing those, where it's and and may the, the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But that idea of the peace of God that transcends understanding, mm-hmm. right? It inherent in that blessing in in that Pauline uh, uh, declaration and blessing is this acknowledgement of the limitation of the cognitive process that your mind and your intellect is a gorgeous instrument, but it is limited. And there is a peace and a knowing that will transcend your understanding Mm -hmm. that is, that is much deeper than that and higher than that. And once you experience that, then there is a trust that you would actually have the audacity to let go of a trapeze bar that was giving you cultural relevance, social prominence and a paycheck as a pastor and leave all of that in in kind of a desperation and hope that there's a, a bar out there that's more genuinely congruent with your calling and what God is inviting mm-hmm. you to. And to me that that what cultivated the willingness to do that was your your practice. Yeah. Uh and then all of a sudden you're hurtling in the in betweenness in the darkness and it's terrifying and it's also exhilarating. And it's also full of anxiety and it's also really full of hope. And at the end of the day, there's, as I, as, our, and as we've talked, you know, multiple times now, I've sensed you're knowing that it's going to be all right. Like, uh, you know, that all is well and all shall be well and all manner <laughs> of things shall be well, you know, that it's going to be okay.
0: Right. Right. And it's, it's a journey, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's,
0: yeah. I don't know. I love it.
1: It is. Uh,
0: uh, well, Greg, I feel like, I mean, I know me, I could keep talking all day. Um, And I mean, this conversation just in and of itself, seems like it's been spiritual practice for me. Um, Mm. It's been so insanely helpful. So thank you for, you know, engaging, um, being willing to put yourself out there, your own story as well. Um, Mm. But for people who are like still listening and are super interested in second breath where can they find second breath and, and how can they get connected and involved?
1: Yeah, the two, the two easiest ways you can go to our website, which is secondbreathcenter.com. Secondbreathcenter.com. And, uh, also you can get our app, which is just called second breath. It's on both the Google play store and uh, the Apple app store. The, the app is again, it's overflowing with hundreds of spiritual practices. And if you check it out, you'll notice at the bottom, you know, we have, uh, the home page, which has, you know, daily spiritual practice, which is new every day, five, 10, 20 minute options. We have recommended for you. We have a featured practice that changes every month, uh, every week. And then we have a a series that changes every month. Like we've done one on uh, stress less and sleep well and forgiveness. And we're always blending like forgiveness is blending you know, Harvard research on the impact of forgiveness on the body with Bishop Desmond Tutu's teaching on forgiveness (laughs) coming out of South Africa, or we'll blend on Stress Less, the brilliant research on reducing anxiety out of UCLA with Henry Nouwen and Mm -hmm. what he teaches. And so we always try to blend modern science with one of these great spiritual leaders. And so we have a series that we do every month and add that to the app. And then at the bottom too there's head, heart, and body icons. And those are spiritual practices specifically designed to clear your mind, to open your heart, and to ground and unbrace your body. And mm-hmm. so we've, we've designed it out of, you know, 30 years of teaching this stuff and now putting it into an app. And then we also have an online school, which is on our website, which is where we have uh, classes that we've been teaching for 30 years that, again, kind of nest all this great spiritual practice in an intellectual framework that is resonant with scripture, tradition, and science. Um, And psychology, and so we we teach. It's like it's full of like ten to twelve minute little TED talks with all these amazing practices. Right now, it's uh, self guided so that you can go through it autonomously if you want. But then soon in the fall, we're going to have groups be able to participate in it together with the trained second breath trained facilitator. So, and we'll have lots. We've got the inward journey on there now. Uh, Soon, we'll have the outward journey uh, on there, and then we'll just continue to offer workshops and and new stuff that again we've been teaching for so long but I would say yes secondbreathcenter.com and the app and and we've also got on Facebook a community of practice page if they put second breath community of practice and of course we have Instagram presence and all that too if you just want to dabble your toe in the water and check us out before making a commitment of anything else but uh, and you can download the app for free there's there you can pay for it because of course we have to self-sustain but there's tons and tons of free stuff, uh, that, you know, hundreds of practices that are free too. So if you just want to check it out, that'd be a good way.
0: Sweet. Good deal, man. Well, I'll I'll be sure to link all of those things in the show notes. Uh, so the listeners, you know, easily accessible. Um, yeah, guys. And I, I like super duper encourage you to check those things out. Um, the app's been super helpful for myself, um, just experientially. And Mm. I've, and I've, Honestly, I've just been using the free stuff so far. So <laughs> <like> it's, <laughs> it's worth your time. Uh so Greg, thank you again so much for this conversation. Um, I look forward to future conversations with you. Uh, me
1: too, man. Thanks for having me. This has been this has been great. I feel like a a full sponge. Just yes. really enjoyed our time.
0: <laughs> Same. Me too, man. Me too. Well, listeners, as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Um, go caps and peace and love, guys. <laughs>